0: Thank you.
1: The Kings Insider podcast on csncalifornia.com introducing your host Sacramento Kings Insider James Ham
0: Welcome to the CSN Kings Insider podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me on the podcast, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. AB, what's going on? Not much, man. It's an eventful off-season, or
1: I guess, I don't know, it's not the off-season, but it's the off-season for the Kings, and it's very eventful these days. So I guess that's a good thing.
0: You know, we should have started like we had the road to 33. We should have had the road to <laughs> an NBA head coach. How about the road to 33 coaches? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the la- the largest pool of coaching uh, ever assembled. Uh, okay, so let's talk about that. We're, this is what we're getting into today. We got a couple of topics to discuss. Uh, number one is where the coaching search currently Sits. I think that's a good thing that we're we're going to touch base on a lot of different nuances that have happened. Uh, and number two, we're going to talk about a little bit about where George carl's broken his silence and come out. And I don't want to say swinging as much as I want to say like trying to be as forthright as possible. And whether or not that that jives with the information that we have or not, you know, we'll we'll discuss. Uh, but let's start with the coaching search because I think it's gone a little crazy. It, to me at this point it's the Sacramento Kings have become the Oprah of of coaching searches you get an interview and you get an interview and you get Henry Bibby Um Aaron what are your thoughts on 66 year old Henry Bibby as a potential head coach for the Sacramento Kings Uh not a potential head coach of the Sacramento head, or
1: Sacramento Kings so that to me that's where the conversation ends you know with that that potential name. And that's <laughs> the, the case with a lot of these names.
0: Even though if, Mike Bibby is going to be an assistant? What are you talking about? I,
1: <laughs> I, I, you know, it was funny because the Houston Rockets are doing this right now. And Mark Stein reported something with the, I think the language was like, the wide-ranging Kings-style search. That's the but, new thing.
0: Look at that. The Kings are cutting edge. They're Yeah, ahead.
1: it was funny. I was sitting there <laughs> thinking, like, whoever... I mean, the source is, the source is either Daryl or it's one of the coaching agents, which is a very small group of guys. And I'm sitting there thinking Daryl probably didn't want that word in their Kings style coaching search because nobody wants to have anything to do with the Kings these days as far as like a brand goes. And the the, the point I was going to make, though, is that I think the coaching agents now more than ever are driving a lot of the names that you're seeing and. That's why it seems a little bit ridiculous. And every year that passes, we get into more of an information age. More information is available. Uh, The game that's played behind the scenes and how the sausage is made gets made more public. So I think that's why this time with the Kings, it seems like we could hit 33 potential coaching candidates. And Houston probably will go down the same path because getting a name mentioned, you know, like a Patrick Ewing, getting that name mentioned is valuable to both the coaching agent and the coach. Mm-hmm. Um, it's currency they're, they're trading in currency with more than 50% of this stuff. And to me, I think somebody has got to bring it. They got to dial it back a little bit because it is getting a bit ridiculous. And if you're the Kings, I know the names aren't coming from the inside 95% of the time, but you kind of almost want to push back a little bit on it. Cause some of these names are quite ridiculous.
0: Well, we're about to hit week three. And, and I think at that point, that's where, you have to look at the Kings and say, okay, at some point you have to stop. You have to stop with the, all of the names, and you know, again, to bring it—not to harp on Henry Bebe, but the fact is, Henry Bebe's never been an NBA head coach. He's sixty-six years old, and this isn't an ageism. I mean, what do you what are you going to get out of Henry Bebe? I I don't even know where he's been. I haven't even I don't even feel the need to go do the research because he's not going to be the the Sacramento Kings' next head coach. But it's confusing, and when you reach, like, we know he's going to interview, I think, what it is, it's on Monday. And that means that the Kings won't have a head coach in place at least until Monday, and maybe not even until through next week. We have no idea if they've actually set up, and, and they've got permission, but if they've actually had an interview with Ettore Messina or James Borrego, both San Antonio Spurs guys, but again, names that are late to the party, uh, Jeff Hornacek is, is either come through town or he's on the docket for this week. Uh, I mean, the names just keep coming and coming and coming, and you're like, how many people can you actually interview, and what value do you get out of bringing in someone when you realistically know that they have no chance of, of getting the job? And I guess interviewing and trading and currency and, and you know all of that. I guess it has some sort of value in that you know who's out there and everything else. But but really, this many names, I, I don't know. It, it to me, it this we've reached a breaking point where it's like you have to have like a top three at this point, and and your top three is getting a little shady now because now you have two other teams that joined the fray that weren't there before. The Kings would have expedited their search and, and got this thing done in a timely manner, then the Houston Rockets still in the playoffs would not be part of the conversation. And the Indiana Pacers who are in the playoffs wouldn't be in the conversation either, but now they are. And so what are your thoughts on sort of how this is dragged out and and how it's played in it's played out to where all of a sudden you now have competition?
1: Yeah, I think it's been an interesting timeline. I, you know, Theorizing on this stuff is sometimes a little bit dangerous, but theoretically, if you drag this thing out, then you have a better shot at guys like Ederi Messina, and and maybe they knew about Frank Vogel. Um, it wasn't exactly the best-kept secret in the NBA that Frank Vogel will be letting go. I haven't really been able to get a good grip on, on the Frank Vogel situation. Um, I think Frank is probably pretty wary right now of jumping into a job that would be considered unstable. Um, The Houston job probably looks pretty good to him. The New York job probably looks pretty good to him. Uh, So the timeline of doing all of this, it could make sense that you drag it out so that you can just sort of be mobile when, you know, if Edery Messina, you know, isn't selected by LA, then he becomes available and Mm -hmm. you can make your move. And with like a guy like Kevin McHale, for instance, who had pretty good support inside the walls at at uh, Arco, he was the guy.
0: Most he, people, most people thought he was the guy.
1: Well, he his his interest in the job started waning uh, a while ago, and so that was kind of the um, the rumor on the street was that he just wasn't in. And so once he's not in, then I think you have you know the other big name that really if I if I had to say who the Kings would want to get it would be Messina and that now becomes their focus I think so dragging this out might have a purpose I can't confirm that you know that's not something that anybody's telling me but it's the only way it makes sense to me and it also kind of explains how coaching agents could hop onto the wagon release a ton of names the thing with with the Kings is you just you kind of hope that they don't fuel that fire where all of a sudden every I guess the ridiculous names that get attached to them. You don't wanna cheapen your job. You don't want to cheapen your your brand yeah. by having somebody that maybe say just got let go because they weren't a good coach. Um, you know, being attached as a serious candidate for your job. That I don't think helps them. But again, I think I said this two podcasts ago. All this is really small potatoes. You just want to get the right coach, and uh, that's where I think we'll see some action here in the next week.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I think we're at that point where you have to start narrowing narrowing the field and actually make a decision and actually, you know, put an offer out there. I, I think a little bit of it might be that the Kings are worried about putting an offer out there and not having that offer taken. Uh, they they don't particularly love the fact that that Kevin McHale pulled out of the race. You know, but at the same time, I we can blame people for throwing names out there. The fact is, the Kings are interviewing almost everyone who's been thrown out there. I think the only guy that hasn't really got even like put on the list for interviews that people mentioned is is Brian Shaw, and he's the one guy that I think everyone else that's been whose name has been thrown up against the wall has either sat down or scheduled to sit down for an interview with the Kings. Again, it's it's a long list, and I. In all honesty, there's still some great coaching names on this list. I love Frank Vogel. If Frank Vogel wants to come to Sacramento, that is such a win-win. And it looks like the Knicks are sticking with Kurt Rambis. We're back to that mode. Um, but I think that it probably takes Nate McMillan. You, in all honesty, I think Frank, Mc, I mean Nate McMillan is probably going to end up in Indiana. And that's probably why he didn't quickly interview for the Kings coaching job and wanted to wait until the playoffs were over because I think he probably understood that there was more going on Um, but he has now, he has come in to interview with Sacramento and he probably, you know, he's, he's in the competition just like anyone else, but there's a good chance he goes to Indiana. It's just really wild. And that's a fascinating discussion right there because they're supposed
1: to be looking for an offensive upgrade and that's not a Nate McMillan thing.
0: Oh, I know. Isn't it bizarre? Yes.
1: Well, and I wrote about it at hoop ball is there's a leadership issue in that locker room and you can't get rid of the stars in this league. That's why I think you saw the trade rumor with Paul George um, as kind of like a "Hey, let's let's put a little pressure on Indy here, him or me." And they're, they've not been good in that department for years. Um, there's been references to Vogel tuning him out, or probably the team tuning Vogel out. Um, that was Greg Doyle of the Indy Star writing that. It's I, there was an interesting dynamic in that locker room where I think. Uh, Vogel was frustrated. Uh, I think the players might have been frustrated with Paul George. There was two camps in that locker room, and and now they're going to end up moving on from Frank Vogel. And that, to me, is bizarre, and it's a little bit ridiculous, and it puts another high-quality coach on the marketplace.
0: Yeah, and he is a high-quality coach, and he's only 42. He's He's been in the league for a lot longer than people think. And... <laughs> he's, a, he's
1: a good one. So yeah, that's he... another thing with this is we just don't know how hard the Kings might pursue Frank Vogel and because that's
0: that's something they really ought to look into he becomes the one guy out there that's probably worth the five-year 35 million dollar deal or the five-year 30 million dollar deal I don't know that any I mean I like Messina but again he has zero NBA head coaching experience I you know if he's the guy I think you give him a big chunk of change but I don't think he reaches the five-year 35 million dollar like He's not in the Scott Brooks, Tom Thibodeau range, even though he is well-liked. And for all those people who are wondering, he was actually waiting for the Lakers job. He thought he he was told that you're our number two for the Lakers job, and if Luke Walton says no, then then we're going to hire you. This is sort of behind the scenes. And when Walton said yes, which I think shocked everybody, not only how quickly he said yes, but... Uh, but that they were able to land him and get him out of Golden State, uh, it it put Messina actually on the market where he wasn't before. So it's kind of an interesting turn and twist. I I think there's still, the Kings can win. They still can win this entire coaching search. And I think you're seeing names floating out there for Houston too. Houston really, I mean, we heard Jeff Van Gundy in the first week, uh, not even, I mean, while they were still in the playoffs, we heard that B.J. uh J.B. Bickerstaff was already gone, and that the replacement would be Jeff Van Gundy, just so people know that. Uh, whether that's going to happen or not, I'm not sure, because they have brought in, they're bringing in Dave Blatt, they're going to bring in a couple other guys. But that job in itself, it really does look like two of these jobs could already be taken up, and the Kings could still have all of this large group of people, this swath of people to shop from. So I'm intrigued to still. I still believe that there is a handful of great coaches
1: here. They got – there's no supply problem. This is just a pitch problem. Can they pitch this? And you've got a good pitch man in Vlade, and you've got uh, question marks everywhere else beyond that. And that's going to be an interesting sell. And Vlade's relationship with Messina through Pop will be tested, I think, because there's going to be a leap of faith required for, for that coach or any good coach for that matter to come and coach the Kings.
0: Well, I think Vlade and Messina have a relationship from their from the European championships and stuff that Messina won. I I do believe that they actually know each other well and that they've you know, again, this is Vlade has got to be a stellar pitch man. And and again, people in the beginning of this whole conversation, they said no one's going to Sacramento. No one wants that job. And I think that the Kings have proven everybody wrong by having an exhaustive search and bringing in all of these candidates, they've shown that, like, look, it's one of 30 jobs. And there's a big difference between making, you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year as an assistant coach and making a couple of million dollars, three to seven million dollars a year as an NBA head coach. That's a huge jump. I mean, that's like saying Seth Curry is not going to opt out of his contract because he loves Sacramento at a million dollars, uh, even though, you know, some other team may be willing to pay him six million. It's basically the same dollar amounts. No one is going to is going to stick. They're not going to say no. They, it's got to be a good spot for someone. But that doesn't mean that the money in the end it does talk, and they they do have to. Someone's going to look at it and go, okay, giant bank account that lasts <laughs> me the rest of my life and part of my kids' lives and pays off everything. Or I keep hoping that a better job shows up and I get another opportunity.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, but I'll say this, you know, you've got guys like, uh, you know, Jason, who I like a lot at the beat, um, has um, Vinny Del Negro as the favorite. And that would imply, at least by my my sourcing, that Messina says no. And then if they do make a good offer to Vogel, that would imply that Vogel says no.
0: Well, yeah, but I, I still, my sourcing inside says Vinny Del Negro is not that high on the list. But we'll have to see. I mean, we're it, seeing. it's interesting because there's a lot of different angles being put out there on that. A lot, a lot of different miscommunications and and twists and turns and everything else. So that's going to bring us to our second topic, right? I, I think we've we've beat the the coaching search to uh, to Smithereens. So let's let's hit the next major topic, and that is george carl decided to come out and, and have a couple of newsers you know he's he's had a conversation with alien voice on of the sacramento b he's had a conversation with michelle draper of uh, channel three and some interesting stuff being thrown out there by the former sacramento kings head coach how comfortable are you with with anything that's coming out aaron or is this just George's narrative and you, you roll with it and you say, OK, it's uh it's a former coach coming as clean as he's going to come. And this is, you know, sort of what happens when you let a coach go.
1: Yeah, there's nothing surprising about this stuff at all. And I think George was, you know, you might have caught half of this stuff in press conferences. So none of this is breaking news. What Where it gets problematic, though, is there are people around the nation that do not have the time nor the resources to cover the granularity of this story in a way that you would understand that this stuff is bunk. It's, it's, you know, it could be one man's opinion. Um, but then there's stuff, you know, from the writing side of it that it's not being presented. It's there's omissions, there's twisting, there's details that just are plain wrong. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of stuff in there that gets packaged. and it gets repackaged and repackaged and repackaged. And you start seeing it in multiple places on the internet. Like, Kings are discussing trade for Demarcus Cousins. You know that actually appeared on a major, you know, three-letter website because of the report. You know, a few weeks back, on um, you know, it wasn't this report, but it was a different report. Two weeks and, old. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing about this that's, you know, if you're sitting out there and you're reporting this stuff and and you say one thing and somebody else says another thing, you know, you almost want to correct the record you know, in the, in the name of accuracy. So that's the stuff that's, that's tedious. The, the stuff that George said, everybody knew George thought that he was in the right. So I don't know where you want to spin this, but none of it's surprising whatsoever.
0: I think the one thing that really like catches my eye is if you're going to look at a timeline of the George Carl era of Kings basketball, um, you know, whether or not Cousins agent put some, you know, tainted the water before George even walked in the door, that's, you know, it is what it is. I mean, they they were told that George Carl wasn't going to be the head coach of the Sacramento Kings. And so they kind of, like, built their assumptions around that. And then to hear later on, like, well, wait, maybe he will be and all that, um, you know, I think that's that's kind of where – you see things kind of start to twist. But realistically, DeMarcus Cousins came in with an open mind with George Carl from everything that I know of, of the situation. While I'm there and, and I'm standing there watching it unfold, that first 30-game stint, it wasn't like everything's just glorious and, and we're having the best time ever. But Darren Collison was hurt. The Kings had no no real point guard to to shift to, I mean, it was, again, it was uh, Ray McCallum and Andre Miller trying to finish the season out. It, It was like a team limping to the finish line, whether George Carl was there or not. What really kicked it off, everyone is right, what really kicked it off is this ridiculous statement that George Carl made, and it was in pregame, where he just said, hey, no one is untradeable. And Cousins took it the way that I think Cousins should have taken it, is that George was telling him, like, look, you're not untradeable. We're going to, if you don't shape up, we're going to deal you. And uh, if you just, go ahead, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, it's even more than that. They were talking with teams to trade him.
0: Well, no, 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 that happens later. That, that's no, what I'm no, trying no, to get No, no, you.
1: no, 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 no. That happened from the minute that that conversation, the minute that George was the apple of Pete D'Alessandro's eyes, he knew he needed to trade DeMarcus Cousins. Oh no! And that's, I, I, that's, I think that's you're the right about this. Yeah, where George—it's presented where George's his comment was this like philosophical. Oh well, any player can be traded. Michael Jordan could be traded. No, 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 no. This was prepping the media for the concept of Demarcus Cousins being traded while they worked details out behind the scenes. It was an
0: extra, ex, ex, exit strategy. Nice. That's, <laughs> that's what it was. It was an exit strategy. I, you're right. You're right. And that's but, why it's twisting.
1: That's why the article's bunk.
0: Well, and, and that's where we get into issues. It's that – so first of all, George Carl should never be in the Sacramento Kings front office. That Let's just get that out of the way. When you go through a season and a half and not only the players but management also turn on you, where does that fit in? Where do you fit in as the guy who got turned on as a coach – But even though you're not a front office executive, we're going to let you step in. He made some interesting comments in Michelle Draper's piece where he really hopes that Stan Van Gundy, that that's the new wave. It's the Greg Popovich, Stan Van Gundy, where the coach gets to make all the decisions. And, And they get to decide on who's coming in and who's not. And realistically, that's what George wanted. He wanted power. And so people understand sort of, the way that it works out, George makes those statements in the media. But April 14th, the end of that season, April 14th, April 15th, whatever it was last year, Pete and Alessandro was being let go like the next day. And, and that's something that we were very clear with and we made no qualms about. That's exactly what was happening. He was being let go. But then George says, hey, please don't let my guy Pete go. Don't don't let him go out like this. This is it's reported everywhere that George asks that Pete not get let go. And then what's omitted from these pieces that we're seeing, especially, you know, in the B is that this whole thing where George actively shops DeMarcus. Marcus and you might be right. They may have been shopping him already, but really when it comes out that they're shopping, it's like a couple of weeks after the season ends. And that's where the whole uh, snake in the grass emoji comes from, from DeMarcus. That entire thing, where George didn't just make the comments in the media. He went on to actually shop his star player without authority. And, And that's where this relationship became completely dismantled. I mean, the first thing is like, hey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. My bad. Anything after that, though there was stuff that came after that. And that's where we really have this issue where it's like, look, you can't just act like none of that happened. Like that entire stretch of the King's history, it's revisionist history. And it really, George's biggest mistake started with announcing that DeMarcus could be traded or anyone could be traded. It didn't end there, it, it built off of there.
1: Yeah, and it's it's the whole, It's a, people aren't familiar with the story and that's why they can't either write about it or talk about it or, you know, even understand it at times is the transaction that occurred starting with Mike Malone and ending with George Carl was as toxic of a transaction as you'll find anywhere in business. So when George comes in and makes his power play, which was precisely what Cousins agents were afraid of. Mm-hmm. And, and and there are there are sources that know these guys and and have said to me and these are guys from deep in their past that, you know, they don't have any problem with, with George Carl. Like they don't have any, this was a concern about their client and the combustibility of both parties, that these two were not a good match. And the fact that in the beginning, like you said earlier, this was the George Carl push was a Pete D'Alessandro push, but it was like a Trojan horse. There was no, hey, let's fire Michael Malone and let's bring in George Carl right now. It was Ty Corbin can finish the year. He's better than Michael Malone. And then George Carl is, is solution number two when that's not a possibility. And, and George Carl is solution number two, possibly over the summer when it makes more sense to go after. But then you get George in on a big, big, big deal. And George is like, well, I got all the juice right now. Pete's my guy. You know, we can move to Marcus Cousins. And Pete Sander would go around and poll people. Who should I keep? it was the most transparent or or, or easy to see thing that was going on is they were trying to find a way to get rid of DeMarcus Cousins because they knew George Carl and DeMarcus Cousins weren't going to work out. So that whole beginning, if you're going to keep George Carl after he does all that, which the Kings were very much pressured to do so both financially and with this narrative that they can't get rid of coaches, George knew that. So he pressed that advantage, and that's why he, without authorization, tried to move his franchise player, which pissed the entire organization off. So the idea that George somehow was undercut in this locker room, he chopped both of his own legs off. If if there's somebody out there saying that that George was undercut, they just don't know what's going on, or they're purposely misrepresenting it. So George, the way this works, and the way that it had been presented is that George was kind of having that mea culpa moment and that he came back to Cousin. They worked it out and all that. But he never thought he did anything wrong. And you could tell by these interviews. So if he did have a mea culpa moment, Cousin saw right through it, probably within about eight games or nine games to be exact. And when you're not delivering on X's and O's or rotational decisions or, or, or bringing you know, what you're supposed to be bringing to the table as a coach and now you're, you're losing – and starting off the way the Kings did. Oh yeah. That frustration is going to be a powder keg and
0: that's what you saw. And that's why the season went kapoop. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think here's a quote. Well, here's two quotes from George Carl's conversation with uh, Michelle Draper. Um, let's see. There's no question our locker room had tension. There's no question that our locker room had whatever you want to call it. Disconnect. How I tried to solve it or how we tried to solve it, to be honest with you, I think it's more on the players as much as it is on the coaches. Here's another quote. The stars of the team, I think, got to take more responsibility sometimes for the leadership of your team. I think that's probably where it broke down. I think the coach, me, and I think Rondo, Rudy, and Cuz were the three guys that never kind of got together. We told you about this from the beginning. That there were two spheres. There were the coaching spheres and the players. The players, for the most part, held together throughout most of the season. Now, DeMarcus Cousin said there might be two or three guys that that didn't like stick around, that didn't stick to the plan, that weren't on board fully. Uh, he he said that in the Carmichael Dave interview that if he you know there might be two or three guys that that weren't fully on board. But the rest of this group, they did. They stayed together until near the end of the season, where you started to see sort of this, it, it just overflowed. Like why one guy has to play and another guy doesn't or why I've got to go to battle without half my players. That doesn't seem fair. So I think the players near the end of the season, a lot of them were kind of like, okay, we're just done with this situation. Let's just, can we just wave the white flag and finish this thing with 15 games left? So we had that, but really the players stayed together. You could see them moving together as a pack throughout the season. You know, again, Kostya says, I have no problems with these guys. Uh, Karan Butler has gone on record. I love Cousins. Why would you not want to play with one of the best big men in the game? He had an opportunity to throw him under the bus, even though there's a good chance he'll never be back in Sacramento, Karan Butler, because Karan has an option to get out and go try to finish his career somewhere else. But my point is that this team, there was always going to be this issue. And and Aaron, I'll give you props because you are right. They should have... Fired George before the season, and what the way that that it that it played out, it probably just completely spoiled any hopes of recovering with this roster. You have to go out at this point and make major, major changes. Uh, You you have to because you can't walk back into the season and hope that some poor coach, no matter who it is from this giant list of names, will be able to rein in the discussion. And fix all of what's wrong because it's it truly is broke.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm. (laughs) You nailed it on that one because it was a wasted season and it was a toxic season and it's gonna leave a mark. And that was. I always went into this. I had the high win prediction and I always went into this (laughs) with the assumption that yes, you did. You if you run (laughs) a professional franchise, that you have to like know that either you tell George, stay in your lane, or you're gone. That was always the assumption. Like, I never thought, I never dreamt that a franchise would say, oh, hey, George, you can stick around and do this crazy stuff. That doesn't happen almost anywhere else. And that was my mistake and my assumptions. And, you know, I'll probably have to adjust my my assumptions for future years as a result of that. But um, it now you do have a big problem, and, you know, but we've talked about it ad nauseum. I'm not a big believer in Rondo for this squad. Uh, I think that you got to move. And with this free agency market, I think this is a, a don't spend your money market. I think that there's smart players that you can add and stay mobile and maybe target things like the trade deadline, especially for those of you who want to see DeMarcus Cousins trade uh, traded at the deadline. You could have tons of cap space and be able to make some deals that way at the deadline. But um, this is just not a good free agent market at all across the board positionally whether you know any position you look at and there's going to be a ton of teams spending money this is this is like going to Vegas with a bunch of thousand dollar bills in your pocket you ain't coming home with any of that money back um, it's wild it is yeah <laughs> I, I don't
0: even know how this is gonna play out
1: I don't I mean I would just like don't go don't go to Vegas like just <laughs> take your ticket and burn it up
0: but just the problem is Aaron the problem is it's not just one year the next year the cap goes up another 10 million bucks. Yeah, that's cool. Use it next year. The the list of free agents
1: on this market are guys you don't even want.
0: And you know what? We talked about this during the the Larry Kuhn interview. I don't know if you listened to the Larry Kuhn interview that I did um, about a week and a half ago. He said that that the really interesting thing is is that a lot of teams he believes aren't going to spend their money. And you know, there's this new thing that went in the last CBA that you have to. It it finally got to this point. It. It was a progressive thing, but um, the first year, I think you had to be within 20% of the salary cap and then 15%, and now you have to be within 10% of the salary cap. That's the salary floor. So if the salary cap is $90 million, you have to at least spend $81 million. So say you don't spend $81 million. the Say you spend 70, That remaining $11 million, you have to actually pay. So, and it doesn't like go into the league office and they recalculate it and send it back out. It actually goes to your own team. Right. So it gets broken up directly into the pockets of your players. And so it's a way that teams can, number one, build goodwill towards their own players. But secondly, they can say, look, if we walk into next year's salary cap and we're at $75 million and we got, say, a couple of million coming off the cap. And then the salary cap goes up to 105 million. We now have 35 million dollars to spend, 40 million dollars to spend, and a, a core of players that just got an extra bonus check. So there's this interesting di- uh, dynamic that could play out. Now I don't see the Kings playing that. I think that they're, <laughs> I think that they're going to go out and try to sign Ra- Ryan Anderson right away. Um, I think they'll, I think they'll chase other point guards uh, and if Rondo is is getting the big giant offer that he's he thinks he's going to get they'll let him walk but I think the Kings are going to be they're going to be relatively smart with what they do here even with Rondo Rondo might be back but I don't think there's any way he's even going to be back on like a on a three-year 33 million dollar deal at this point maybe maybe he gets that But the Kings have a cap hold of that, at least, you know, the $10.4 million cap hold for for Rondo. So I I just think that it's going to be wide open. And you're right, dude, this is going to be the Wild West. It's like it's a roving ATM machine. Like dump truck loads of cash are going to drive around and just like spill out on the people's lawns. Like, please sign with us.
1: There are a lot of low-end players that are on the upswing I published a list. I'll probably republish it at some point on Twitter. And that's the only place I'd be spending my money. Like, And and the thing with Rondo is, like, you get Rondo at $1 million, say, or whatever the vet minimum is, he is going to demand to run the team his way. And if that doesn't mesh with everything, and if he doesn't address the defense, it's going to be more of the same. I feel like Paul Giamatti in... And what's the the San Andreas movie?
0: <laughs> oh. The
1: next earthquake is going to be bigger. Yeah. yeah, yeah, oh yeah, it's gonna be bad, and that's going to be the king's biggest crossroads, I think, because DeMarcus Cousins wants him back, from all I can tell, and Rondo, I believe, thinks that he wants to be back. Like I think that he's probably seeing the market, and he's thinking, you know what, Sacks, my best chance to a remain a starter be remain in charge of a team in every facet player coach. You know, this is the way we run our team. You know, if there's one thing about George, you know, Rondo didn't really run his system the way that George would have envisioned that system to be ran. And so that's the one thing I think when you saw Darren Collison run it towards the end of the year, there was a little bit more as George likes to put it flow. So, it, that part's going to be their biggest decision, I think. You, they could probably survive a Ryan Anderson signing. Um, it won't look good in two to three years, but it th- won't. like Ryan will fit in. He mm-hmm. won't, he'll just provide spacing and another offensive option. I don't know how you play those two together, Ryan Anderson and DeMarcus Cousins. That's a story for another podcast, but that
0: will be survivable. The Rondo is not, not survivable at all. I like. I actually like the fit of those two with Willie Cauley as the third big. But I'm also going to point out that some of the coaches that we're looking at, uh, as far as potential guys that the Kings are going to try to land here, we're talking guys like, you know, Frank Vogel and uh, Messina. If you really look at the way that they've formed their, that they've they've coached in the past, I mean, is there a huge difference between George Hill and Darren Collison? Is there a huge difference between Tony Parker and Darren Collison? They're a similar style. They're not a pass first point guard. They are a more of a combo guy. And, and I think that you can probably survive in this situation by letting Rondo go, bringing in a a lower price free agent, a guy like, again, like DJ Augustine or someone like that, that you might be able to get for, for 4, million, $4 million a year or $5 million a year, even in this crazy landscape. And then you spend your money elsewhere. I mean, you, you look at trying to upgrade the shooting guard position with a guy, you know, again, they like Courtney Lee or a guy like Ken Bazemore that that really has an ability to to defend and do some things. And so I think get, you can build this team a
1: different way. Get, get Bazemore, man. He's going to be something else. And he's been on our radar for a while. He's got an Achilles thing, but no big deal. Um, he's a guy that you're going to see big things from down the road. The, the Hawks have two straight just steals of contracts between Baysmore and Carroll over the last two, three years that they've just been phenomenal figuring out the small or the, 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 the low money contracts on guys that are not buzzy. It, it's Moneyball, man. It is money. It's ball. money ball. It's not even, even money ball. Splitter, it's just not,
0: if, if Splitter wouldn't have been hurt. You could say the same thing there. You know? Yeah. He's a, he's been a walking injury
1: for too many years, but yeah, it's, it's just, you can't go spend the money on the big guys. You got to go look, spend small. And then when you do strike with your big money deal, you go and get a guy. I mean, I've been looking at Harrison Barnes and saying, you know what? If you're going to go big, that's the kind of guy you want to go big on. <sighs> he's a consummate
0: professional. Uh, Harrison Barnes is going to kill. He's going to be a franchise killer. I guarantee it. Oh, no, no, no. Someone's no. going to like, no, 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 no. give him max money. And then just be. Uh, he won't kill it. He's not going to set back your franchise. You what, don't what would give set back, money back your franchise it. is a guy that's going to get hurt and have a big number and never know. be able to be put on the floor. You don't you don't spend franchise money on a third option. And that's what they're going to have to do. He's and gonna that's be, what he he's going to be in the
1: same ballpark as Ryan Anderson. And the team that gets Ryan Anderson is going to be crying in their beer. And the team that gets Harrison Barnes will be okay at a minimum. Uh, and they he, might get some upside out of it.
0: Yeah, if and if I'm like if I'm looking at with the Lakers, the Lakers they just bring in Luke and if uh if I'm them the first thing I don't do is go sign Harrison Barnes to a max money deal. I could see DeRozan going there and Harrison Barnes and them trying to work it out with uh with Russell and Randolph and, you, and that team you hate is, those guys. That team's just it. not good. It's just it's not, <laughs> you hate those guys. And you I like DeRozan. It. I mean, if if the Kings were to chase DeRozan, oh, DeRozan DeRozan's instead, playing himself out of a contract. But right But he now. is, he is, he's playing himself out of the contract. But you know, let's be honest, Aaron. When you have a jump shooting team that has two really high end players that are jump shooters, it's the same thing that we're looking at with uh, with Portland. At least Portland, their shooters haven't gone... Well, I don't know. Their first game was horrible against Golden State. But really, if you're looking at at those teams, when a jump shooting team goes cold, it's not usually because the guys just forget how to shoot. It's because everything, the entire focus of the defense is on stopping those two players. And it's yeah. not that hard to to make life difficult when a guy's sh- shooting from 23, 24 feet away. And It really... They're not executing,
1: case. though. Well, they're, they're the, not. The, the,
0: the bla- here's
1: the thing: they're getting trapped on the pick and roll. If you get trapped on a pick and roll, you slip to a three on two, or you swing at worst to a four on three, and it's the most simple play in the book, and it's just not being executed. And it's it, that's a bigger conversation as far as like execution at the NBA level: why and how it doesn't happen, and why we're at the stage, you know, where professionals at the highest level can't execute what would be page 10 in the the, the basic handbook if you yeah will. that is as frustrating to watch as anything Toronto is really bad at it right now but the one thing that's interesting about this is all these teams that constantly do well they are able to get the ball beneath the free throw line and they could do it with the pass in the form of a post up or they have penetrators like a Steph Curry who's so good with his handle that he's getting around a trap of a screen and you know they trap Steph all the time And he slips it to Dre just like you're supposed to. And Dre doubled his assist totals from year to year because of the improvements in his game. But his ability to penetrate, it gets the defender to turn their head. And the minute you get people turning their heads, everything just falls apart defensively because it's hard. You can't turn. You don't have eyes in the back of your head. You can't see when you're looking the other direction where the other guy is moving. And that's why having a post threat is so important and why these stretch fours, and these stretch fives are so unimportant if they can't A, defend their position and B, also get down in the post and do other things. Because if if the, if the action's constantly in front of you, you can't do any you're, – you're, you can see everything.
0: The offense can get clamped down on. Yeah. I mean – and when you really look at this, if you pull back and you say, what's the difference between a Toronto and a Portland – I really don't think there's that much of a difference. I think one team played in the Eastern Conference and was the second seed, and the other one played in a, still a very tough Western Conference, and you know struggled at times, but figured it out. But really, if you strip their teams down, I don't think that there's that much difference between the two teams, and I think we're seeing that play out in the playoffs. It's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting way we talked about it. Was it last week? You can't you can't copy the Golden State Warriors because you're never going to have their players. And so you've got to you've got to have a new idea, and that n- new idea I think still can start with Demarcus Cousins. It can still start with the sort of the core that the Kings have. But um, yeah, it's gonna be a difficult. It's a healing. It's a healing year for the Kings.
1: Like so, if you if you do this, you you've got to have good positive steps for forty games, and then once that's done, now you can start to talk about the future because. If you don't get to a point where people can look back for forty games and say, you know what, I'm pretty proud of what we've done here, and not the BS post game presser that you know everybody <laughs> says. Oh, George right. was
0: George <laughs> was very proud that they won thirty three years. George thought it was the years. best season in the history of of the NBA and maybe mankind. Um, uh, he did. Yeah, I mean, he said, I, I'm you know I think expectations were that we would win you know fifty games, but you don't take a team from twenty nine wins to fifty games. We made a four game improvement that means that we did better than the previous year and next year we should be fighting for 500 and his point i think is that the kings don't want to wait to take baby steps they want to accelerate the steps and and win 10 extra games or 12 extra games or 15 extra games and that's just not how the nba works and to, you know in his defense uh, george is right for a good amount of that but the move from 29 wins when your team should have won more like 35 or 36 because they fired three coaches the previous year, I would have liked to have seen the improvement off of that. And and then I could have said, okay, I see improvement. I didn't see, I mean, a four-game improvement, I think was still a two-game step back from what they were the year before. Yeah, the man can
1: wear, weave a narrative and so can a lot of other people. And that's, it's,
0: just, you know, it's fooey as they say. <laughs> it's the games people play. All right, so Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, No, not really. I
1: mean, I think that the Kings are are in this really, really interesting spot. You know, it's a can they sell their coach, the guy that they want, who I believe is Messina, can they sell him on coming over to the Kings side? That's interesting to me.
0: Interesting. Well, I'm going to say that it becomes decidedly more difficult when He had Marco Bellinelli, a former, I mean, a a fellow Italian uh, with him in San Antonio for a couple of years, and Marco Bellinelli has not, I don't think he's speaking highly of the Kings at this point, and uh, that makes life a little bit more difficult. I I like Messina. I like Frank Vogel. I still like Nate McMillan, uh, but I do believe that this is going to be a, it's still, it's a tough sell, whether they've had this many people come through or not. You still have to, to close the deal on one of these guys. It's going to be big. I think there's still great coaching candidates out there, and uh, and I'm hoping that the Kings land one of them because that would make my life a little bit more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> selfish,
1: James, selfish. It we should is, be talking about chaos it's for all the selfish. rest of our lives. Come yeah,
0: well, you know, s- chaos also sells, just so people know. It does sell. So uh, I think that's going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. Thank you so much, Aaron Bruski for joining me. We will get back to a, a few more extra podcasts this next week. It, it's just been a crazy week. So uh, that's going to do it. I am James Ham. He is Aaron Bruski. Thank you for tuning in to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. See you next week.